0: Hello, everybody. Hope you are great. Uh, just wanted to say a massive thank you to everybody that listens to us and everybody that supports us. We really, really appreciate it. Just wanted to ask you a small favour. If you could scroll down below this podcast on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast, and there should be a little box that has a five-star um, ranking and a little review box. If you could leave us a rating five stars hopefully, and a nice little review. It just helps us to push up the ranks um, and get our message out there to more people inevitably helping us to fulfill the purpose of this podcast, which is to help as many people as we can. And if you don't like us, uh, don't worry about it because we don't want your review, bugger off. No, just joking, we love you too, keep listening. And also for anyone that's listening to this that might be struggling with addictive patterns or knows someone that is struggling with addictive patterns, we run a treatment program called Connection Based Living um, where we help people to transform out of addictive patterns without going to rehab. So if that's of interest to you um, or you think it might help someone that you love feel free to get in contact with us at www.connectionbasedliving.com.au. That's www.connectionbaseliving.com.au and we'll be happy to uh, chat to you and help you in any way that we can. All right, into the show. Okay, so in today's show, uh, we've got the wizard, uh, also known as the Rue Killer. We don't really get into that why we call her that in this show today but nevertheless we might touch on it down the track uh holly sinclair she's an absolute gun really knows her stuff um super interesting lady runs a uh, organization called the women's series and works with us in our connection-based living program to help people reset their biochemistry so they can transform physically out of addictive patterns really really interesting lady knows her stuff and goes in deep um so yeah looking forward to put this show out there today uh just a little disclaimer audio is a bit shit at the start because i was messing around with my uh zoom conferencing thing due to corona but got there you know a little way into it so just stick around for that um and hope you enjoy love to hear any feedback cheers Yeah. All right, you yeah, ready?
1: I'm fucking, I'm um, here.
0: Awesome. And you can hear me? Yeah, awesome. Okay, cool. All right. Um, boom. So let's start. I don't know how to start it. Um,
1: <laughs> let's start it by telling everyone that we've already done it.
0: That's right. So this is a replay because we, well, not we, I fucked up the audio Um. With the last recording, and I actually need to buy a new camera that films consistently the whole thing. Anyway, that's on the cards. So we've already done this, but this is take two. <laughs> so this is uh, Holly from the women's series. Now we're coming to you with a special Corona Zoom uh, <laughs> episode. Can we
1: talk about? Can we talk about Corona?
0: We can talk about Corona. We can talk about Corona. Oh,
1: good. Okay. Cool.
0: Let's not go for too long because I'm sick of talking about Corona though, to be honest with you.
1: Well, I just mean like Corona as in like not Corona as in like how can you, you've put shit into your body for the better part of the last X amount of years. And now all of a sudden you're worried about a virus.
0: That's right. Awesome. All right. Let's talk about that. That's good. I like that because that, that is true. Um, and, and, And I guess also just like, having positive like eating habits, particularly now and doing all the supplement stuff and making sure your immune system's like up to date and going because, you know, you need it. Well,
1: it's all all dependent on whether you are, are trying to prevent to get sick or if you are sick. Yeah. Because if you are sick, actually using a lot of the nutritional compounds, which most of us know, are good for our immune system, like, say, vitamin C.
2: Yep.
1: Olive leaf extract.
2: Yep.
1: actually not going to be great if you're currently dealing with a virus.
2: Right. Why?
1: Because it basically speeds up the proliferation of the virus. Yes. So you want to use those things as a preventative measure to, yep. like, safeguard your cells. But if you do get sick, there's some pretty cool stuff that you can... Uh, consume which basically because the thing is with the virus, right? There's different types of germs. Yep. Okay.
0: We're just so, we're just launching into it. And actually just before what I do. Just exactly. So just before you start, to give everyone some context, which we will talk be talking about it, this is obviously <laughs> a show about drugs, alcohol, addiction at large. Um and Holly is our what what do you call yourself? She's just a wizard. I call, you, I
1: call myself your holistic healthcare provider.
0: Okay. I don't like it. We're going to come up with a better name because... <laughs>
1: or Rooslayer.
0: Rooslayer, which we can talk about that as well. But holistic healthcare provider, she's awesome. She is part of our connection-based living addiction treatment program. Um, does like microbiome testo- testing with people. Lots of cool stuff. Um and he's just an absolute gun and wizard about natural health. And that is why, um, and we shouldn't even call it natural health, right? But that is why she is um, talking about all this disease stuff. Launching. So That's now, why she's
1: going on a rant.
0: Now we can, now we can rant. Let's go. <laughs>
1: okay. So, so there's basically like most people would think of a germ as four different subcategories. Yeah. You think of bacteria. Yep. parasites, fungi, like yep. yeast and mold, yep. or viruses. Okay. Yep. So the first three have a life cycle, which makes them like real hard motherfuckers to get rid of. Okay. Yep. So if you've got a parasitic infection, and we'll, we'll lead back into this about addiction and mental yep. health, because certain parasites are associated with depression. Yep. So if you have that, they're hard to get rid of because like they're alive. And they've got like a full life cycle. But a virus doesn't. Yeah. So the only way that a virus can really make a dent is if it actually successfully attaches to your cells. And usually that virus will have a specific type of cell that it wants to attach to. And in the case of C19, it's cell lungs. Right. Right. So... Real basics, a virus is like covered in spikes. Those spikes are basically like a horny teenage bloke trying to get it in with a young (laughs) sheila, okay? (laughs) All right? And so that virus spike is just looking for those lung cells just to penetrate, okay? (laughs) But reishi mushrooms blunt the spikes. Right. So you can use, if you do get sick with a virus, whether it's C19 or whatever, you can use actually a lot of Eastern um, herbs, so like Chinese medicine herbs, but particularly mushrooms are really effective at blunting the spikes that viruses have on them so that they don't actually penetrate the cell.
0: So get all about portobello, shiitake.
1: (laughs) those fucking not like in your food i'm talking like medicinal shrooms like right. reishi and um yeah there's like I'll, I'll give you a list of them if you want to put them in the show notes but you can mm-hmm. drink it like a tea basically or yep. go see your chinese doctor
0: awesome all right well yeah that that'd be awesome because that's a practical tip so so that's if you are feeling sick and you have hopefully not, but if you have COVID-19 or you don't, right? I know that's basic. There's probably a lot more. What about, because that's the stuff that I'm interested in and find really interesting, and I think it relates heavily to like addiction and all that stuff as well, like the preventative stuff. What about that? In terms of addiction? In terms of addiction, but just in terms of what can people do now to...
1: All right, I went on this rant on my socials today, right? So I'll fucking go on a rant here about it.
2: Awesome. Okay. Yep.
1: So let's take Susan. 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 Susan is 16 years old. Yep. And she's getting a bit promiscuous. Yep. And Susan has never, nobody, including her mother or her grandmother, has taught her that as a woman, you only technically have maximum six days to fall pregnant, a yep. cycle. Okay. So despite the world knowing this, no one's told Susan. Yep. So she starts flirting with some boys and then she goes to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, you should probably go on the pill. Yep. And so Susan goes, all right, whatever, starts taking this pill. A couple of years later, Susan has continued to experience depression and anxiety. Yep. And as we both know, the system says, oh, it's just one of those things. Like there's no, we don't know why it happens. Maybe Susan experienced some level of trauma or maybe she didn't. Okay. But now she's 19 and Susan gets diagnosed with depression and she also gets put on an antidepressant to help manage her depression while also taking her contraceptive pill. (laughs) Okay. Then Susan's 20 and the, Usage of pharmaceuticals plus the consumption of the standard Australian diet, a.k.a. the SAD diet. So she starts consuming wheat and sugars and maybe she's like 20, 21, so now she's like out of the clubs, she's drinking some alcohol. Yep. And the combination of all of this stuff going into her body has actually manipulated her neurochemistry over years and years and years. Yep. And so now she starts going into the cycle of binge drinking. Yep. Um, and she takes on these addictive behaviors. And so she gets to about 22, 23. And it's all a bit out of control at this point. She's, she's going wild on the weekends, but she's still taking her meds and she's safeguarding her pregnancy options by maintaining the OCP, which she's now been on for 10 years yep. without ever stopping, without ever menstruating. So she's missed out on all the natural hormones. She's manipulated her neurochemistry since she was on the antidepressants. And now she's intoxicating her body with alcohol. So when you're doing all of those things, your immune system is getting fucked up. Like (laughs) one, okay? The oral contraceptive pill creates leaky gut which is something that we'll get into in a second about addiction, but leaky gut is basically where your gut lining starts to tear and all inflammatory compounds that are coming into your digestive system because, guys, remember, your sinus and your mouth are part of your digestive tract. So if we're thinking about C19 or viruses, uh, people are safeguarding this part of their face because they're scared of inhaling the virus, okay? But that's part of your digestive tract. So her OCP usage has affected her digestive system. And then because she's got a leaky gut, well, we now know medically that there is a connection between the gut and the brain, and that's called the gut-brain axis. And that's influenced by the vagal nerve, which, which sits behind your throat, okay? And we can get into the spiritual connection there. Because I would say a lot of um, vagal nerve damage is associated with a blocked throat chakra, which is a reflection of things like poor communication skills, right? Not being able to voice your opinion effectively. Anyway, so now we've got the gut to brain axis That's fucked up, okay? Because she's got leaky gut. Leaky gut creates bacterial issues. Bacterial issues impact the the communication between the two organs. Yeah. So guess what? She's randomly got depression, okay? Because... (laughs) The brain does not have um, pain receptors. So it's only way of telling the body it's got a lot of inflammation happening in there is through symptoms like brain fog, depression, anxiety, mood disorders, PMS, right? So then you get put on these meds, okay? And which, mind you, have been diagnosed to you and, and prescribed to you based off a subjective interaction, which has probably lasted seven minutes in a GP's office. Yeah. So you get put on these meds and now you are really interacting severely with your natural serotonin production. Yeah. And serotonin is a neurotransmitter which in has, you know, lots of side effects associated to it if there's imbalance. So things like um, anxiety, insomnia, dizziness, addictive properties, even like suicide tendencies are associated with SSRI use, right?
2: Yep, yep.
1: And so she's got all that toxic load coming in. The medications are creating more permeability in the gut. That's having a flow-on effect to the gut-brain axis. Yep. Then she starts the binge drinking. And now the alcohol is causing excessive amount of toxicity in her cells. It might be attributing to more bacterial issues. And then the, all of that is the perfect storm for an absolute shit immune system. And so then you, you obviously become more and more susceptible to viruses and then viruses inflame the body. And then so it just all kicks back to the starting point. So inflammation creates permeability and permeability creates issues with the brain. And, you know, so it's just like this merry-go-round of health complications, which could have been all avoided had Susan not been given the fucking OCP at 15 and just told how her actual menstrual cycle works. That's it. But nobody, nobody goes, you know what, let's have a look at this person's history timeline and start to understand when all of these certain things started to take place. There's no association ever. Can you hear me? No. Well, I can, but it's shit.
0: Can you hear me now? Yeah, that's better. Okay. Can you hear me still now?
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. Cool. No, I pulled out the wrong chord. Sorry. No, that's really um, that's really really interesting because <laughs> the thing the thing that I've noticed with people is that their last kind of resort or their last option is to actually look at what they can do and what they can fix without having like an external man-made solution of medication and stuff like that. And it's the same for addiction. Um, how much of this do you reckon could be fixed if there was just like, a not fixed, but people had really strong immune systems and all that stuff, if there was just a massive campaign for people to kind of do preventative health is that what you call well,
1: it? Yeah, we'll call it preventative health. Just health would be good. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you look at the brain, right? So if we're like talking specifically about mental health and addiction, yep. you've got a, a system in the brain called the glymphatic system. yeah, And its job every single night is to drain your brain of toxins. That's mm. its job. Okay. Now, do you know what gland it relies on in order to be able to do that draining process? Nope. The tonsils. So if you've had your tonsils removed as a kid, you have an inability to have an effective lymphatic system. So now you are not eliminating toxic load efficiently from your brain. And what are toxins going to create in the brain? they're going to create inflammation because inflammation is our body's way of removing those toxins. But when we create inflammation, we also have an immune reaction through something called glial cells. And those glial cells basically, like my old teacher used to call them um, little chihuahuas with AK-47s, right? So you imagine like these like glial cells are like just fucking spraying your brain with bullets, yeah? yeah? They're like trying to get rid of all the toxic load, but yeah. in the same process, they're accidentally like shooting your own brain tissue. <laughs> okay, and so this is where we start to get a lot of imbalance with our neurotransmitters. And if we go, if we go, okay, well, the clinical model is correct, let's just say we're agreeing with them for a second. Neurotransmitters are the problem, well then. Shouldn't we reverse engineer the the question and say, well, why do they have imbalance in the first place? Where is the root cause coming from? You don't just randomly have an imbalance of neurotransmitters. Why would we be designed to just turn imbalanced out of nowhere? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, 100%.
1: So the way that that happens is through inflammation and, and through a lack of nutrients in the diet. And, you know, I've said this to you a lot recently because Jack and I obviously work together with clients. Like the state of our client's nutrition hmm. prior to working with us is horrendous. Yeah. Like, like alarmingly horrendous. Mm. And and most of the people that you and I are working with through the program, they've already been to rehab centers. Yeah, maybe multiple rehab centers, and no, no, none of them have been taught to eat well. I know. None of them have been taught that basic fundamental of like human survival to eat well, hydrate, sleep. That's it. I know. I
0: know. It's crazy. <laughs>
1: what is happening in this world?
0: I kind of like, because it's it's right, and it's what does happen because I've worked in a lot of the rehab centers is that it's really weird. There's like this on one level, there's kind of this like emotional, well, you could call it that, but whatever. There's this like counseling that happens, emotional level help. But then they go down for morning tea and they smash like Boston bun and Tim Tams, you know what I mean?
1: <laughs> right. Like, I was just looking at a research paper this morning, this morning from 2008. So, it's not like we haven't fucking known this information for a long time. But, gluten sensitivity, so not celiacs, yeah. if you are sensitive to gluten, that will manifest as schizophrenia.
2: Wow. So, wow.
1: so hang on a second. So, what this paper is saying is that patients with schizophrenia or diagnosed schizophrenia could potentially maybe just be undiagnosed gluten-sensitive. Yeah. What?
0: And, and this is the stuff like it's really interesting. I, I must admit, and I've said this to you a number of times, but um, my, my wife, Carolina, is into all this your stuff. Your wife? Yeah.
1: Your wife.
0: I know. That's the new news, isn't it? Last... <laughs> was I married when we did the first one? No, <laughs> there you go. That's what's changed. Um, yeah. So my wife, Carolina, she's really into this and she's kind of been into it like you before it was all, you know, cause there's a level of it. That's kind of like a little bit cool now or like, you know, there's a lot of like pretenders that just do it for like Instagram shots and whatever. But anyway, when I met her and she did a lot of this stuff with me, it's fair to say that I was like skeptical. Um, And just simple stuff like removing gluten. um, And I did that again with you on the four-week diet, which was like amazing. I'm happy to talk about that as well. But removing gluten, working on um, like having positive probiotics in my system and just reducing like the amount of sugar that I ate. Mm. I cannot, like very simple stuff. I cannot describe how much better. I felt like instantly. Um, and actually, just- no, actually I shouldn't say instantly. It was pretty quick for me the first time, because I think I was so kind of bad with like my gut health, but within like two weeks, I actually cannot describe how much like energy I had, how much like clarity I had in my mind, like just how clearly I was thinking. Um, and just genuinely, like how much more kind of happy I was, like just overall for so, no good reason, so, you know. So,
1: having experienced that, right, mm. and also being an addict in the past, yeah, how much do you think your biochemistry played into your addiction?
0: Well, massive in now, now, like knowing with, that now, yeah, with the hindsight of that now, I think it's you know. Over 50%. Like, I'm not mental. I'm not sure, right? Like, I'm not sure. Well, it probably does. It probably adds to, like, kind of the start of it. But definitely, like, it would have deepened, you know, those biochemical patterns in my body. And that's what I'm, like, really excited about with what we're doing. I'm not banging on about our program. I just think it's awesome that we have. Holly doing it because there's nothing like this in the addiction space. It's like very new for people to actually kind of go back to the foundations of like your chemical makeup and your physical makeup and at yes. least have some effort to kind of unwind that. Because at the moment, the current state of like addiction treatment, even if you have someone that has a good program that kind of works on someone's mental and emotional health, Right it's kind of like if you were trying to lose weight, this is what I equate it to, not taking care of the biochemical stuff and the physical stuff is kind of like saying to someone that was trying to lose weight, getting him to do this awesome physical exercise program but doing it at McDonald's. You know what I mean? Like it just, it's kind of like...
1: But maybe, you know what, but this this can kind of shift where we take this conversation for a second because my understanding is that a lot of people with addictions, and particularly probably the addictions you and I have been dealing with the program, like ice yep. um, or alcohol, I would say, can, uh, are part of the lower socioeconomic group of people. Okay. No. no. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Because I was going to go with this idea that lower socioeconomic obviously does not allow you to consume good, nutritious food. And it's almost like a little bit of a trapped cycle for people
0: that's definitely that's definitely true like broadly um but in terms of the the drug and alcohol stuff is it just like because if you think about the people we've been working with they, they're definitely not on the lower you know socioeconomic they've got issues <laughs> but they're not on the they're not on the lower socioeconomic side would
1: you say addiction in general is more prevalent in lower socioeconomics
0: No, and I think that is like the general kind of thing that I've been fighting against so much. Because Um, that's
2: definitely a myth.
0: That's right. And that's the stereotype. That's definitely the stereotype. And I would say um, like people think that because if you add addiction to the other life issues that someone in a lower socioeconomic situation has, Mm-hmm. Um, it becomes more pronounced and the problem is more obvious because there's, like, more stuff happening and, like, crazy kind of events that couple with it. And mm-hmm. I would probably go as far as to saying, like, definitely it puts them more at risk because, you know, they have lower resiliency levels. There's more, like, chance of needing an external solution to kind of assist them with other stressful and challenging events 100 percent, mm. right mm. but i think the reason why people if you call them functioning or higher socioeconomic um, society categories struggle with kind of nutrition and stuff like that is because like alcohol or drug use is like so powerful that when it comes on board not straight away, but after a period of time, it jumps up on the priority ranks of you know, what you want in your life. So, And that's why people always talk about, oh, I love my family so much and I don't know why, even though I don't want to, I can't just spend the night with my family instead of going out and using and then spending the night with them. It's because it's jumped up on the priority list as like the mm-hmm. most important thing for survival because that's the part of the chemical makeup that it focuses on and all that kind of stuff, right? So Mm -hmm. I also think, and I don't know, I could be wrong here, but, you know, like if you think about alcohol, there's like a lot of sugar and stuff like that. There's like all these like secondary substance addictions that you kind of get locked into, particularly sugar. Mm -hmm. Um, There's lots of carbs in alcohol or mostly isn't there as well. Like and gluten and gluten, so you kind of get addicted to all those things at the same time, so then you're, yeah. so then your like diet, you start craving that stuff as well, and before you know it, you're just like fully locked in to yeah, this horrible diet on top of like the alcohol, because I don't know, have you seen particularly with alcohol, have you seen that like people my, my experience is that when people give up alcohol, they start drinking like. Four cans of coke a day oh yeah and they and it's almost like not a conscious thing like yeah, yeah they yeah. kind of pick them up but they just start drinking it because they're just like craving sugar so bad mm. and often mm. their like addiction is like more to like sugar than it is actually alcohol you know what i mean yeah. it's really it's really crazy so anyway you got me stuck on that
1: well but the toxic the toxic byproduct <laughs> well i was just going to say the toxic byproduct of alcohol is something called acetaldehyde. Yep. And um, it's basically like the toxic compound that our liver produces as a byproduct of alcohol, cigarette, smoke, and actually car fumes. Um, yep. So mechanics usually tend to have a lot of acetaldehyde overgrowth. And so the thing is um, acetaldehyde, the toxic compound, is a byproduct of a bacteria called candida. Okay. Yep. So candida is a yeast and that also produces acetaldehyde. So there's this school of thought in functional medicine where if you have a yeast overgrowth, right, that then leads to addictive behaviours because your body is overproducing acetaldehyde and it's going to require its fuel source to keep going, which is alcohol, cigarette smokes or um, car fumes. Yeah. So did the bacteria cause the addiction or did you start drinking and then because of your genetic susceptibility to yeast infections, your acetaldehyde detoxification pathways were poor. And so you weren't able to filter through that toxic compound maybe as fast as your mate could. Yeah. And then that's why you then crave the next drink and then the next drink and then the next drink. And now all of a sudden it's, it's the body is, in, this is why I fucking hate intuitive eating, is intuitively <laughs> wanting you to drink.
0: What's intuitive but, eating? I've never heard of that. What? What do you oh, mean? Oh, yeah.
1: It's this big thing in the health industry. Ah. Uh. Like flexible dieting, intuitive eating, like just eat what your body wants. And no, I'm telling you, your body is fucking manipulating your brain. If it's got bacterial issues, parasitic issues, if you're not sleeping, if you've got blood sugar imbalances, that ain't intuitive, sister. That is like your body's manipulating your choices at that point. Yeah. But anyway, I'm not going to get on a about intuitive eating. But. So,
0: so, so all this like – so it's amazing like the knowledge that you have and it's amazing that, um, yeah, you've kind of focused a lot of this stuff around mental health and addiction because it's all connected. Um, if you don't mind, I think it's really interesting though. Like so what? what actually like – Kind of pushed you to get into this stuff? Like, why, why do you care so much about all natural health and using it to. Well, I've got to stop. I feel like I've got to stop calling it natural health because Carolina, my wife, just yells at me. She's like, ah, I even hate that it's called natural health. Like, you should Not health. We'll yeah. just call it health. Health. Yeah. Like, what,
1: what, what pushed you into health?
0: Yeah. And what, I guess, what pushed you to kind of become this like truth seeker? um and go beyond kind of what society tells us about what good health is and you know how to achieve good health
1: well it's always going to be a byproduct of your own experience right so just like you yeah. you experienced an addiction you got out of it and so now you're trying to rescue as many people as possible from the yeah. same system um mm. and so that's the same thing for me like my dad was bipolar he had, um, he was a severe alcoholic. He ended up dying from drinking. Um, Fuck. And I just watched him go in and out of rehabs, in and out of emergency rooms, in and out of cop shops. Yeah. No, I fucking did. Nothing worked. Yeah. So that just in itself proved to me that the system doesn't work. Yeah. And then after he passed away, I then had my own health issues with, you know, whether it was grief from his death or yep. um, other things. Like I started to experience um, something called amenorrhea, which is like a loss of my period. So I didn't have a menstrual cycle for three years. Wow. And I got uh, wrongly diagnosed with PCOS. Is that, so,
0: due, is that due to, um, that's crazy. Is that due to um, uh, like mental, emotional issues or was it?
1: It's usually under eating. Right. It's it's usually because the woman isn't eating enough calories to support her um, cycle, which it definitely was for me. So I was vegan at the time. I definitely had like an under, an undiagnosed eating disorder. Yeah. Um, but when I went through the system, the healthcare system, um, they just basically said you either go on the pill, which that doesn't even make fucking yep. sense, go on the pill or um, go and get your uterus and ovaries tested for PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. And they diagnosed me based off an ultrasound, not based off my blood panels, which only what I know now is like really bad. And they actually at the time said, um, we're going to have to remove one of your ovaries and you probably won't have kids. And then I got put on antidepressants. And so like I went down the whole system myself and it didn't work. They're fucking assholes, mate. Yeah. So... And, you know, it just becomes this real like, and I shouldn't say they're fucking assholes because I actually know a lot of really amazing doctors who to see chat.
2: It's the
1: system. The system is fucked up. It basically is geared towards pushing pharmaceuticals, Mm. which we all know is an industry, okay, which is there to stand to profit. Yep. It's... Not like the, what's the average GP appointment? It's seven minutes. I know. Seven minutes. How the fuck are you meant to understand and properly diagnose somebody in seven minutes? Mm. Like that is just wild to me. And then even if they go, I don't really know what's going on here. Let me refer you out. They refer to a specialist, and the whole purpose of a specialist is that they are tunnel visioned in on what they know. They have yep. no ability to think linearly, right? Yep. So now you're getting instructed based off a very, very monotherapy approach. There is nothing holistic about seeing a specialist. Now, is that the fault of the specialist? Probably not. It's just like how they get taught. Yep. But you wonder, like, th- does the body work in like single ways or does it work multifactorially where everything is interconnected? Well, it works multifactorially. So why would we, why would we treat you based off one area of the body? Oh no, I don't under. It's like it's like you get sent to an OB/GYN, yeah, because you've got fucking period problems, and the OB goes, okay, so what's going on? You said, oh, I've got period pain, but I've also got depression, and I said, oh, I don't do the brain. You gotta go see a psych, and then you go see a psych, and then the psych goes, oh yeah, yeah, but I don't. Oh, well, you got you got a sore joint. Oh, I don't do joints you got to go see a physio and then you go see a physio. Just because, it's like this Dr. Hocking scenario.
2: It's and,
0: bizarre. And I imagine, well, it's what we've been talking about. If you have a problem with your menstrual stri- cycles and then you also have depression and the psych's loaded you up on antidepressant medication, I'm sure that that fucks with your you know, menstrual stri- cycles and hormones and severely like impacts on... You know, the regularity everything. of your... Yeah. So, and I see what you're saying. It's crazy. Like, there's no communication or no. understanding of cause and effect, really. Like, if you do one no. thing, how does it impact on everything else?
1: And we're so... The way where the system is currently at, it's so indoctrinated yeah. with um, evidence-based, 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 Right where if you don't have a plethora of research, and even when you do have a plethora of scientific research, there's still some things that they're not willing to accept. But that just completely eliminates miracle cure people who have cured themselves. So really the approach should be be evidence-based. Like I'm, I'm studying a Bachelor of Science at the moment. I'm all for science. But do not be evidence limited,
2: hundred percent. Because Love that it.
1: removes the intuitive nature of the human body, right? And just because we don't know it, doesn't mean it didn't happen.
0: A hundred percent. Now, I want to go on a little rant here about this evidence stuff, um, yeah. Because, because I, I'm because this is what happens in the drug and alcohol field as well, right? um right. with evidence around programs and people need to know like the truth because it sounds good but it's not fucking good <laughs> it's terrible right um and like so so the thing is right is that i agree with you it has to be evidence based we can't just have these cowboys running around and doing crazy shit and you know i mean
1: i don't mind the cowboys though because they are highly entertaining
0: I know, but when you're taking someone's life into <laughs> your hands, there's got to be some, some kind of care. So, you
1: don't really want Trump, Trump, the, the Trumps of the world influencing all legislative stuff for health.
0: That's right. That's Hope, hopefully right. it warms <laughs> up soon and the coronavirus dies. Um, <laughs> no. So, um, so they talk about evidence-based programs in addiction treatment service delivery, right? So first of all... Um, what is the evidence or what are they measuring against? So that's the first thing. Now, measurement tools, and I sit around with researchers all the time and they're awesome. They're awesome and they've progressed the industry a long way. But a lot of people are, like you said, evidence limited because we talk about evidence-based and evidence-based service delivery and we look at the markers of what makes a service successful right? Did this service deliver value? Usually that's not value to the person. It's value for money about the number of um, target markers that they hit people coming through the program and how many specific like activities they achieved, right? And the evidence is focused around, uh, I love it. The, the, The evidence is focused around like, Doing a K ten with someone when they which come is? into the program, which is like ten questions. It's a mental health assessment. It's ten questions um, to give a rough estimate of someone's psychological um, distress scale. Right? It's and very, is this
1: based off the DSM?
0: Yes, and it's very. Right. It's it's like it's like very rough. Like the questions are like we do one in our assessment. And yet you kind of have to do it to get a very low-key baseline. It's like a very low-key baseline that maybe a psychologist will do with you to see if they need to refer you to a psychiatrist, right? Um, it's just an indicator. So, But we'll do that. And the questions are very broad, like in the past... And they're all about the past four weeks. Did you feel restless... Or did you feel so restless that you couldn't sit still? Whatever, all this stuff, right? So you do that and then you get a score and you measure that. Then you might do that again at the end of four weeks of the service. And if the score's improved, then that might be one marker to say, oh, that person's kind of psychological state as a result of doing this service has improved because their K10 scores improved. Or, and that'll be one. Then the other will be like what they call global health measures, which is just like asking you again a series of questions about how you feel, what your living conditions are, you know, different stuff like that. And that is like what our services are being measured off. And I'm actually gonna get I'm actually gonna get um Nicole Lee on Monday. I'm doing a podcast with her. She's awesome. She's an awesome researcher. Um in the field of ice and has some pretty kind of good ideas and talks really well about evidence. Um, But we don't actually measure a lot of services in the drug and alcohol space. And people say, no. So imagine the best evidence that we have and the best evidence collecting that we have in one area of health, drug and alcohol is like very down the bottom of Great evidence collected, like it's really poor. So people say, "Oh, it has to be an evidence-based program." But the reality is, is there's like fuck all evidence for anything. So all of a sudden, we only do evidence-based programs, which is basically only doing CBT therapies, motivational interviewing, and you know, um, drug replacement medications and stuff. But there's no evidence collected about the impacts of you know, um, whether it be like, you know, like incorporating fitness into like a treatment program or not like there's nothing really. There's nothing about online stuff. There's, there's It's very limited. So all of a sudden people are saying, let's do this evidence-based programs. But the amount of evidence that we have is like this much compared to like the demand and the services that are out there. So as a result, what I'm trying to say is that we say let's do evidence-based stuff, but really we don't collect evidence in the first place. So how can you do evidence-based stuff when you don't have a true representation of everything that's going on? Does that kind of make sense?
1: But we are collecting evidence, but the system does not want to accept that all of this neurological evidence Mm is the fucking same evidence for mental health and addiction services. Yeah, That's the problem. There is a plethora of research papers on gut-brain access, on neurotransmitters, on their role in the body, on inflammation in the brain, all of these sorts of things. But because it's obviously not labelled as, you know, looking at addiction or how it's associated with depression or whatever it might be, it's not being put into that umbrella of uh, that. What, what I'm hearing you say is that the evidence that they've got is very specific to certain CBT therapies That's or talkative right. therapy or ph- pharmaceuticals, right? That's right. But then the other thing to question as well, if you come back to the original questionnaires, so the 10 questionnaires, well, does that even take into consideration the grief cycle? Like no. if, I, if I just lost my husband and if I can go to the GP in four weeks and I say yes to all those ten questions, am I then diagnosed depression depressive
0: that's right well, and take well,
2: it what
0: t- t- I know it's crazy so so take an even um, more simple example, and this is what happens with mental health and addiction and pers- and the prescribing of very which we've seen a lot which we 've talked about a very um, powerful. Antipsychotic medications right which some people need when they have severe mental health genuinely severe mental health conditions but the majority of people don't need that and they have been given out because what happens um, so i'm talking about things like seracule um, and this comes back to it's not the gp's fault they get blamed but they have that many things to do they're mm. expected to know so many things mm. And the system is not geared in a way to see um, patients with drug and alcohol issues because they can't bill things the same way as they can for other things in with for Medicare because it's like a political issue that they don't put in the time to properly assess people and see them and educate themselves around the subject of drugs and alcohol. So what happens is someone goes to a psychiatrist or a gp that doesn't and they don't specialize in alcohol and drug use they don't really know anything about it and say there i go i go there for an ice problem that i have and the natural effects of ice is that it elevates you it makes you restless it makes you fidgety it Mm. makes you not like you can't concentrate right Mm. That's when you're on it, when you come off it, when you're detoxing, when you're having chemicals release out of your body, there's lots of stuff going on. You might be depressed, you might be feeling anxious, you're fidgety, you're restless. Like There's all this stuff going on. It's not a good basis to assess someone off. No. So, so, so someone presents like that, they don't take into consideration anything to do with the drug and alcohol use itself. They see someone that's highly depressed, they see someone that's fidgety, they walk out of there with the diagnosis of ADHD and like clinical depression. They get given serocule to sleep because they can't sleep because they're detoxing because they've got a whole chemical change that's going on in their body and all they need to is like suck it up and ride it out. Unfortunately, it's what happens. They get given these strong antipsychotics that send them, that numb their brain out and just create all these issues. They get loaded up with antidepressant medications. And then on top of that, they're given legal amphetamine medications, ADHD medication, because they think they have ADHD. And really, they just need a detox off, off drugs.
1: <laughs> and really, they just need some B vitamin support, some magnesium. And some fucking good hydration.
0: That's right. That's right. And like after maybe two months of them actually achieving that process where they're kind of come down off the drugs and they have it completely out of their system, then maybe we do the assessment. And if they're having extreme psychotic symptoms then, okay, maybe they have a psychotic mental health condition, right? Fine. But you can't assess that when someone presents and they've just smoked a gram of ice, like it's crazy.
1: (laughs) Well, you can't assess that when they've smoked a gram of ice. You can't assess that when they are in their phases of detoxification. And you (laughs) certainly cannot assess that if the person is not eating well. That's right. Because if they are not eating well, whether you have an addiction or not, if you are not healthy and you go to a doctor because you have, you know, depressive symptoms, Well, you should not be medicating that person until they have done the things that ensure that their biochemistry is functioning optimally. And then when their biochemistry is functioning optimally through good nutritious food, through supplementation, through sleep, through blood flow, through proper, you know, a spinal support like chiropractic and all of these sorts of things meditation, increasing their prefrontal cortex, yep. then you can make a diagnosis of mental health. Yeah. Because until that person has done all of those things, that depression is just a symptom. Mm. It is a red flag from the body and it's the body's way of saying, there is something biochemically wrong with me. You need to fix me right now. Just like, just like, eczema might be another red flag for somebody 100%. or chronic diarrhea might be another red flag for somebody or infertility, but they're all just red flags. Mm. Like they, we, we would not have evolved to have been this broken.
2: 100%. And the
1: thing is with addiction, particularly addiction is ultimately just a dysregulation of your nervous system. It's yep. your nervous system trying to find regulation for itself trying to find a coping mechanism for where it's currently at
0: 100 percent.
1: you know so so what actually caused the dysregulation of the nervous system in the first place that's the real question right
0: 100 and i don't like i
1: don't believe like i don't think that just eating good food is what it takes to
0: yeah that's right
1: a, right like i genuinely believe you need, to go, you need to go back into childhood. You need to do timeline therapies. You need to assess where your limiting beliefs are. You need yeah. to develop your prefrontal cortex by, you know, making sure you're committing to mindfulness techniques every day and personally developing yourself. Surround yourself with good community. Make sure you're in the proper environment. So I don't think, I'm not like limited to thinking that food is the only answer, but it's so incredibly overlooked and exactly, it often is is the problem
0: a hundred percent well so. it's it's like the whole thing right um like you said because i'm the same as you it's all interconnected like you have to take care of all the domains like it's and that's why we call this whole like treatment thing connection based living because it's connection to self and that's a few things that's the food like connecting to like a healthy diet and a healthy way of living physically and taking care of your biochemistry mm-hmm. as well as going back and looking through, uh, yeah, your, your belief systems, like what's happened throughout your life to evolve you into the place that you're in right now, because it doesn't just come out of nowhere. It's not fucking magic, right? So that's the I connection know. to self. And then you need to work on, the connection to others because we're social creatures humans interact whether it's for selfish reasons or um, selfless reasons we interact with we're put here with millions of other people on the earth you need to work out your connection to other people so your relationships um, the groups that you're a part of what lights you up all that stuff and then you actually need to kind of take care of the high level stuff as well which is connection to purpose like what are you doing with yourself what's the target that you're aiming for what gets you up and out of bed in the morning and it needs to be this whole holistic thing it can't just be talkative therapies just eat the right food just do this it's like this whole it's this whole person thing and i don't understand percent, man. i don't understand why people don't understand that <laughs> I don't. because
1: it's too hard yeah, it's too much uh, requirement for personal responsibility. Yeah,
2: yeah. Because
1: because what the healthcare system has ultimately provided for maybe the past three generations mm. is you don't have any responsibility of what's happening to you.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Everything that's happening to you, it's accidental. We don't we don't know why, and um, we're the heroes. We're the gods. And we're the authority, and we will fix you. Yeah. Or, or we'll at least manage you. But let's just get real for a second. Whether it's fucking addiction or cancer. Yeah. Everything that is happening to you is a choice. Mm. Everything. People don't like to hear that, but that is the truth. You are choosing to live the way that you are living. Okay, so it, even if that is things like cancers, for example, you have made the decisions in your life that have let led you to where you're currently at. Mm. Okay, so and how that's manifested in your body is a disease state.
2: Yeah.
1: So take some fucking personal responsibility and start to actually... Like you said, with the detox process, like you just have to fucking write it out. You've just got to do the work a lot of the time. Mm. But the health, the way that the system's geared is, is it basically has told people they don't need to do any work.
0: That's right. That's you just right.
1: pop a pill and the symptom goes away. And so it's fine. And then when the symptom comes back, we'll, we'll just up the dosage of the pill.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: That makes sense.
0: So tell me quickly, there's, there's two more things that have come up in the conversation that we talked a little bit about last time that I want to kind of touch on before we finish up because um, I know you're uh, in demand. You, you got to go. Um, so... No,
1: yeah, have got time. We've got 20 minutes.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> it's not enough time when we're talking. Um, so I'll, I might do this one first and I'd be interested to know your thoughts as well because you brought up, like timeline therapies and trauma and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting. So like I definitely believe in like timeline therapies and I definitely believe, um, and this is all from working with people and seeing people who have shifts and change their life, um, I definitely believe that it starts in your childhood and then that kind of progresses throughout your life, right? But I don't view it through the same porthole as... A lot of other people do. Um, And I like there's this kind of narrative at the moment and and the reason why I want to talk about it is because it prevents a lot of people from getting help and it keeps a lot of people sick and stuck in limiting belief systems about themselves. So there's this whole thing that everybody that has an addiction and probably they say for people that have mental health as well, everybody that has mental health, it's because of trauma and everybody's walking around traumatized and I'm just like...
1: The new buzzword.
0: It's not fucking true. It's just not a thing. It's like so and if I can just explain, right, if you think about healing and growth, there's two streams. So definitely, right, definitely... There's like traumatic experiences that happen to people, right? So how do they describe trauma? Because you describe it better than me, like physically in a medical term. It's just like, yeah, go.
1: Well, physically, trauma is just damage to the body.
0: That's right. That's right. So So it's
1: like, you know, someone punches you in the arm, that's physical trauma.
0: Yes, that's right. So, and that's what people have to realize because there's this like stereotype around trauma that it's um, horrible events and all this kind of stuff, which it is, right? But the thing about trauma is that 100% if a big event happens in your life or any event for that matter, it's going to have like an emotional impact on you and you might go into grief or, you know, like you said, like if someone close to you suddenly passes away or just passes away, there's potential for that to turn into grief. There's horrific situations that happen to people in their life, all that stuff. Even minor things can cause people to kind of become upset, right? That, is fair and I get it. Like, So you got to think about one stream is that you've got to heal from that stuff and actually go through a process of feeling those emotions, letting them pass, all that stuff, right? But that on its own, that is not what makes you addicted. That no. is not what makes you addicted. What actually impacts you is the belief system that is developed as a result of that. Because the common, the common one that people always ask is, oh, well, why do some people that come from really tough backgrounds not become addicts and some do? Because you could have two siblings. One will have a belief system that arises out of that horrible situation and the other one will have a different belief system and then that flows on into the rest of their life and transforms how they act. So what you do you know what
1: else they'll have? What? Well, they'll also have different HPA responses to the trauma. Yeah. HPA being your your biochemical stress response, your release of cortisol.
2: Yep. Okay. There you go. Yeah.
1: So and your biochemistry, you might have different. You will have different microbiome at the point of exposure to trauma, Mm -hmm. and the way that that HPA axis. Um, creates cortisol, it Hmm. then has an immunosuppressing response on your digestive system. So now your microbiome will get altered, which we all know plays a role in the inflammation in your brain.
2: Yeah.
1: So actually, if we're talking about childhood trauma, what's actually technically happening is that your limbic system in the brain is having to regulate and, and try to, it's trying to process the, the, um, what you're experiencing through your hormones, yep. through cortisol, through adrenaline, right? Mm. So, and then we know coming back to addiction later on in life, if you've had that, it's called HPA dysregulation. If you've had your, your stress response dysregulated at an early age, thanks to childhood trauma. Maybe it's got nothing to do with the actual event and your emotional attachment to the event. It's probably got a lot to do with how your stress response has handled it. Yeah. And then every single stressor you've experienced along the way has weakened that stress response. Exactly. And as I said earlier, addiction is just your nervous system trying to regulate itself. And your nervous system is heavily influenced by your limbic system. And your limbic system is what influences your stress response. So I wholeheartedly agree with you on this one.
0: A hundred percent. So, and that's the thing. And the reason why I get so annoyed about it is because two things happen. People ring up these services and they search for things that aren't there and give people a belief system that, there's something that's happened to them when they're young and that's why the way that they are. And then what that actually does is keep them stuck in a victim mentality and blaming people outside of themselves for the events mm. that happened in their life, which is not helpful. It's, it's not the way that you actually get growth and transformation. Um, and the second thing is, is that they spend all their time talking about the trauma and not actually about the belief system and all the other stuff. That mm. is actually what you need to focus on and identify and change. And that's what I... Because ex- your
1: beliefs are, are influencing your behavior?
0: Correct. Correct. Yeah. It's, and like I hate to kind of simplify it, but on the psychological and emotional level, the big hit it out of the ballpark transformation activity that anybody can do, and the reason why you need to do it with someone else is because it's fucking hard to get really brutally honest with yourself and identify it for yourself. But you can do it, but it's very hard to kind of see outside of yourself Um, Mm -hmm. is that you need to like do the work with someone to actually identify what the belief systems are and really challenge yourself to shift those and then do practical actions to actually um, change those belief systems, not your behavior, change your belief systems, right? So-
1: that's the whole need to add in mindfulness practices.
0: A hundred percent. Because all, the, your,
1: all what you're, what you're referring to about victimhood, right? Yeah. Well, uh, where does this, where does the victim live?
0: In you your know? mind. In your mind. Yeah. And
1: what's, what's your mind?
0: Well, just yeah. It's like I'm into subjective. Like that's what I explain to people. I talk to them about subjective reality. Like.
1: Well, your mind is your ego.
0: Yeah. So your ego
1: is attached to whatever story you're fucking telling yourself. And then when Jack comes in and says, yo, Susan, we ain't going to talk about this fucking story anymore. Yep. Well, your ego goes, hell fucking no, we're not. I'm attached to this. This is creating me as a person, right? And so then you just create another story like Jack did wrong by me. Jack didn't want to listen to me. That's blah 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 right but the way in which you evolve your ego or transcend into a higher self as some spiritual leaders would call it is through through developing your consciousness yeah. through actively meditating every single morning and and understanding that really all that we are is just a, a construct of our thoughts exactly
0: 100 percent.
1: and like if you think about thoughts for a second I'm going to go really deep, but I think it's necessary. Like, True. Oh, so if you, if you think about a thought, where does that thought come from? And then where does that thought go? Well, technically, a thought comes from the thinker. And who's the thinker? That's you. Yeah. So if you, are, if you understand it like that, you actually have the ability to shift your thoughts and your thoughts are your beliefs. That's And right. your beliefs influence your behavior. But you have to be actively working on this every single day. Um, exactly. You know, And I, I had a massive argument with a client the other day because they texted me saying, oh, I'm feeling really anxious, like it's emotionally draining, like woe is me. And I called them and I said, well, what have you been doing to, act, to ensure that you're not feeling like that? And they really didn't like that. They said, all I want for you to do right now is just like ask me why I'm feeling anxious. I said, but I, I don't care. Like, what are you actually doing to ensure that you don't feel anxious?
2: Exactly. You know?
1: And they just didn't like me pushing back because what I was doing is I was pushing back on their ego. I was pushing back on their victimhood. That's right. So, yeah, I, I think it's a, big, it's a big issue in the world of addiction and mental health.
0: And this is the thing, right? Because often people will come and they think I'm horrible because often people <laughs> will come with really horrible like fucking terrible things that have happened in their life right and things that they are the victim of that they had no control over that happened to them and like i I need people to understand i'm not saying that you know you have to take responsibility for something that you're not in control i'm not saying that but but what i am saying is that Yes, you need to go and do the grief counselling and you need to process the emotion and the trauma if it's there. But the majority of people often don't have significant traumas that have addiction. Um, Mm. But if you do have the trauma, yes, you need to do that stuff. But But if you actually want to change your life, what we need to do is look beyond that event and we need to look at all the mechanics that have happened as a result of that event and all the Mm. stuff that you've kind of the stories that you've told yourself as a result of that event we need to get away from that event and Mm. actually focus on that and change those things and when you change those things and you change the way that you think about the event and yourself like your life will change and i've seen people like do it in front of my eyes um and i know we're running out of time but like there's a big one we can go over there's a big one like a belief system that people have when they first come, they've done a lot of like rehabs and stuff before is that I'm this, I'm an addict and I'm fundamentally going to be battling this addict mentality or this addict thing for the rest of my life. And it's just a limit. It's just a limit. Like, and I know it's it's in like popular culture and I know it's kind of helpful to start with, to admit it and, and yeah, have an admission that this is your problem, but, to hold on to it forever is like accepting that you're fundamentally broken and you're never going to be okay just the way you are, which is completely, this is what I, yeah.
1: yeah. Ryan and I talk about this, which is how Jack and I know each other through a friend Ryan all the time because, and he always says like when somebody comes to him and they go, oh, yeah, but I'm just like, I've got an addictive personality.
2: Yeah.
1: It's like, well, <laughs> where has that personality been created from? Yep. Is that if, like, what does that even mean? Having yep. an addictive personality?
0: That's right. Like, and, and don't get me wrong, like I, like, I do think, like, there has to be, I do think there's a certain kind of genetic role that kind of plays into it and disposition that, you know, people, like, I, I tend to be overly, like, obsessive, right? And um, Overly.
1: He's just, fucking crazy.
0: <laughs> just upset. I get obsessed about things, all that kind of stuff. But that doesn't, that doesn't like if I just accept that as the only part of me and the reason why I'm addicted, then that's the way it is because that's what I believe. You need to actually shift your belief system yeah. about yourself. And like no shit, right? I've worked on this stuff with I remember the first guy I did it with and I was explaining it to him. And I was taking him through a process of thinking different thoughts and believing different stuff and talk to him about this whole concept. I literally, it was crazy. I literally saw him, like his identity shift in like a moment. Like you can actually do it in a moment if you get it right. Like it's hard, but if you get it right. And then, like he almost like didn't need to come and see me anymore because he like in that moment he actually shifted, just clicked, and he shifted his identity and like kind of transcended that belief system. Mm. And like he hasn't had a problem with alcohol and drugs since. And he Mm. had been to so many. I'm not saying because I'm awesome, but it it was just (laughs) it was just about (laughs) what he actually changed within himself. So,
1: but also though, don't you think like? a big part of that attachment, because that's all it is. Like you're just attached to your ego and you're attached to who you are.
2: Mm.
1: Right. So, so, but who you are is a big part of every single relationship that you have. Yeah. So if you actually change who you are, then that also requires you to probably have to change almost every single relationship that you have. And if a lot of those relationships are based off you being a victim, well, that's why so many people struggle to actually really shift because not only is it just about them, it's about the people who are within their life who, when you, and I'm sure you've experienced this, like when you start to develop yourself and step away from who you were, a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people are like, whoa, 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 hang on a second. You're moving way too fast here, buddy. You're exposing me for who I am, right? And so you sort of like get drawn back into who they, who others want you to be, I guess.
0: Boom, 100%. And this is why this stuff is so hard. And this is why, like I'm the same, this is why I kind of seek out people to help me with it and to help me with my constant kind of growth and evolution is because, no matter where you're at, I'm sure it's the same for the Dalai Lama. Like, you kind of, you, no matter where you're at, at the end of the day, it's kind of you versus you. And like, you are really hard to kind of get over and shift because you're trying to fight yourself. So, having that person outside of yourself to just push you a little bit is really helpful. And it's why, it's why the fastest hack to kind of getting real change is to hang out with a different group of people that are ahead of where you're at because mm. it like forces you to like change because of like positive peer pressure, which I'm into. Um, now just we quickly,
2: over.
0: okay, we can run over. Good. Cause just quickly before I just keep banging on and talking, I'm actually meant to be interviewing you. Um, <laughs> tell me, tell me, um, just quickly to finish up, give us like some practical things that if anybody is listening to this that is, yeah, struggling with drug and alcohol problems, they know someone that's struggling with drug and alcohol problems, they're vibing with everything that you're saying. They're like, they're like fuck, I've been, I've got this whole thing wrong the whole time. I need to start taking care of my biochemical makeup. I need to change my nutrition. I need to do some shit differently. What's some practical steps that they can do right now?
1: Well, first and foremost, you got to cut gluten. That's just like the worst thing you could be doing because it attaches to your opioid receptors um, and it's highly addictive and it really inflames your brain. Okay, it does this by causing something called gluten ataxia, which basically is where it shuts down your um, cerebellum, which is on the back lobe. Yep. So, and actually alcohol does that as well, funnily enough. That's why you get balance issues when you're drunk. Um, so you got to cut, cut the gluten. <laughs> and I think that's like probably the easiest thing that most people with an addiction can do straight away. Yep. And if we're talking just specifically about mental health, mm-hmm. um, no pharmaceutical drug has ever beaten the benefit that exercise has on the brain. Yep. So... You've got to move your body, man. Like, you know, and like how depressive is it? You're just sitting inside all day, just like slumped around, you know, there's nothing moving through your blood. So even just like get outside, go for a 30-minute walk, um, can ultimately fully change the way that you see the rest of your day. Yep. Um, so gluten movement. And I think if you're in a position where you can start to implement some mindfulness practices, they are incredibly beneficial for the health of your brain. So whether that be yep. journaling, um, yoga, maybe it's meditation, um, even just like getting in an infrared sauna, yep. where you're just like forced to sit and chill, yep. right? Without gadgets and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I definitely would be doing that.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And what about to fit in with the trend of like trying to take things to make you feel better? Um <laughs> What about like, um, I know they're not meant to be like a long-term solution, but just a kind of a short-term thing to get people a bit of a boost. What are like some supplements that people can take?
1: Magnesium glycinate. So that's what pretty much everyone on our program starts taking.
0: Yep. So Um, just explain the magnesium thing because that's really like a, a hack that people need to know about which magnesium to buy.
1: Oh, so magnesium glycinate is what's best absorbed by your digestive system, yep. okay? Or Epsom salts, like magnesium sulfate, um, is yep. best topically so that you can put that in a bath. But the rule of thumb is 10 milligrams per kilo of body weight of magnesium. So if you're a 60-kilo woman, you want to be taking um, 200, like 600 milligrams yep. of magnesium glycinate a day. Wow. Um, because especially if, like, alcohol is the addiction, it severely robs your body of magnesium. Yeah. Um, that's why, like, when you have a lot, like, even if you're not an addict, but you have, like, a couple of glasses of wine at night, you have a really shit night's sleep because the magnesium's being leached out of your body. Yeah. Um, so a mag basically assists with multiple enzymatic processes, but particularly things like detoxification, which yep. you need if you're dealing with an addiction. Um, and it helps to dampen your stress response and put you into a good night's sleep. Yeah. So sleep, circadian rhythms, as you and I both know, like I actually think that poor sleep issues are the number one cause of addictions. That's my personal opinion.
2: Yeah. I think yep.
1: like because when you're consistently not sleeping, you, you lack energy and then you look for energy in other sources yep. like stimulative drugs. Um,
0: How much should people be sleeping every night?
1: You should be having four REM cycles. So eight hours of like deep, deep dreaming sleep. Wow. Yeah. Um, which nobody does. But, you know, if you drink alcohol, you actually don't have REM. So you can sleep for eight hours, but it's like you never slept.
0: I've got to talk to you about my sleep. Just side note. Cause
1: I, I know this.
0: I get it. I get obsessed and excited and stay up too late. Anyway. Yeah. But, That's a
1: GABA issue. We can talk about that in another podcast. We digress. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so magnesium and then B vitamins. B vitamins would be really beneficial for anybody dealing with any form of addiction um, and even depression. Um, There's a famous research study that came out in the 90s about this woman who was diagnosed schizophrenic in and out of institutions. She ended up catatonic. Um, So 20 years in the system on every single fucking antipsychotic drug you can think of. Anyway, turns out she was so incredibly B12 deficient. They gave her a shot of B12 and she's fine. She walked out of the clinic, no meds, nothing.
0: How amazing is that?
1: Well, it's amazing, but it's fucking concerning. Yeah. You know, that she was in and out of institutions for 20 years and she got to the point of catatonia. Yeah. So, but it, it proves like how important B vitamins are our neurotransmitters, yeah. and also for our detoxification pathways.
0: And a hundred percent, that is also a big one with alcohol as well. It does something with you, like your liver and all that, I believe. So, um, you know, alcohol, uh, B B twelve to kind of counteract alcohol addiction stuff. Like usually, people with alcohol addictions are severely, severely. Deficient in B twelve, um, and B six, and, and B six, and I think it helps with like um, liver function and stuff like that. Too. Well, it helps
1: coat your myelin sheath, which is like basically the protective layer around all of your nerves. Wow, that's why when you start to detox of alcohol, you get the shakes, right? Because your myelin sheath is fucking cooked, right? Right, and your and your nervous system is trying to like regulate itself all of a sudden. Um, So, yeah, I mean, B vitamins are incredibly, incredibly important. And like the thing is, they're really only abundant in good animal protein sources. So, you know, if you're plant-based, we're not going to get into that because I could be on a fucking rant all day about it. Um, Or if you just don't eat well, then you probably don't consume a good amount of B vitamins, right? And then how whether that's dysregulated your neurotransmitters in the first place And then those neurotransmitters being dysregulated have effectively led to the addiction. Um, Who knows? But definitely, definitely. Because you know how I was saying about acetaldehyde and how acetaldehyde is the toxic byproduct of alcohol? Well, when you have an overgrowth of acetaldehyde, you actually can't absorb B6. And that's why, and B6 clinically is um, why you would get schizophrenia because you have like no B6, which is why alcoholics, are the highest rates of schizophrenics?
0: Wow, there you because go. of
1: that B6 connection, yeah.
0: How crazy is that? So, yeah. and the last one that I'll throw in from my expert opinion, no, just um, <laughs> Caroline has given given it to me because I'm I'm someone that can have a tendency if I'm not taking care of myself to yeah become depressed and have kind of bouts of that. Um, so, uh, vitamin D, massive. Mm. Fuck, that shit, that shit makes you happy. Like a little squirt under the tongue over a week and boom, you'll be feeling as good as anything. Like it's <laughs> crazy. Um,
1: the thing is with vitamin D, it's only absorbed in really high dosages.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So you have to have like mega dose of it, like 10,000 to 20,000 IU, but for a short period of time.
0: Right, right. So it shouldn't be something that you're taking all the time.
1: You shouldn't be taking 1,000 IU every day. Yeah. That's fucking, that's not even going to scratch the surface.
0: Carolina was telling me that like there's a crazy amount of just because of how we live in today's age, like we're indoors a lot, um, that there's a crazy amount of the population that are just um, deficient in vitamin D just because of, you know, they're not outside.
1: (laughs) And also, you know, why else? Because you need cholesterol to absorb vitamin D from the sun. Boom. And what have we been told since nineteen sixty, whatever?
0: Do not fucking eat eggs or butter. <laughs> They're Correct. bad for you.
1: Correct. So thanks, you fucking assholes. Yeah. You've just destroyed not only the cholesterol, but also the vitamin D absorption.
0: Hey, I love it. I'm gonna let you go because I know you have to go. Um thanks so much for coming on. We're gonna do a few more of these because Holly, like, she talks sometimes. I don't I get lost, but I love it because I learn heck. <laughs> um she's awesome so she does the um holistic health stuff in our program and resets your biochemical makeup um, which is connection-based living and where can people find you just for the stuff that you do tell us about it
1: um you can just uh find me at the women series on instagram or the dot com, um or obviously through cbl which is our stuff um yeah Awesome. And
0: she does the women's series, but she's like a gun. She works with heaps of men and gets their fertility all right and shit as well.
1: Yeah, I just I just, uh, I just, don't tell most people that, but I actually end up working with a lot of couples now because fucking blokes, seriously. Love it. Your sperm, you need to improve your sperm, fellas. <laughs> we didn't even talk about that today, but depression in men, that is an issue with testosterone. Just going to put that out there. Yep. And testosterone is, is an issue for men because all we do is eat soy.
0: Boom. So stop eating soy. So we'll soy.
1: save that for the next one.
0: So, dude, stop eating soy and do more leg days because it'll pump your testosterone up.
1: And ice your balls.
0: And ice your balls. That's right. That's right. We've got to have that <laughs> conversation next time. And ice your balls. Stay tuned for the next episode. All right. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Hey guys. Peace out. Bye. <laughs>